God has certainly blessed us with musical talent. And thank you, Annie uh, Riddle, for playing today. And Jacob was playing with you for the prelude as well. So he's playing piano and flute, right? Clarinet today. Thank you. See? See how much music I know. Uh, I can't even clap and beat. Okay. So, great music to help minister and worship the Lord with. You know, last week we began a sermon which was going to be in two-part about the exclusivity of salvation and inclusivity of Christianity. The exclusivity of salvation and the inclusivity of Christianity. We're in a sermon series based on worldview. Well, worldview is where I'm going. We're in a sermon series based on scriptures, which I've been convicted to pray. I'm calling it the Praying Scripture Series. You know, what better to pray except the Word of God back to God, praying the Bible back to God. And there's been, you know, I was convicted at a young age to pray the Bible. You know, as I memorized the Bible, uh, pray the Bible, pray these scriptures back to God. And, you know, a few weeks ago I talked about having a biblical worldview and, you know, we need to have a biblical worldview. We need to view the world through the lens of the Bible. Let the Bible correct our, our viewpoint. And we need to make sure that we have an integrity about us. That we would not do things contrary to the Bible. That we would not do things contrary to that biblical worldview. Rabbi Zacharias shares a story about a woman who was certainly willing to compromise who she was for money. There was a woman on a plane, and she was sitting next to a man, and they were, got to talking, and they had a great conversation. And I think it might have been an overseas flight. And eventually, the man, the conversation's going well, and the man says, you know, I, I wouldn't usually do this, but could I proposition you for a million dollars to come back to my hotel room with me. And she thought and said, no, that's not who she is. She would never do something like that. And they just sat there as the plane kept going. And a few minutes later, she kept thinking, a million dollars, a million dollars, a million dollars. And so a few minutes later, she said, well, I'm not usually like this, but for a million dollars, yeah, I'll go back to your hotel room with you when the plane lands. And a few moments later, the plane keeps flying, and he gets a little nervous and blushed a little in the face, and he said, I I'm sorry, I'm not usually like this. I don't really have a million dollars. Would you do it for $10? Would you come back to the hotel room with me for $10? And she immediately recoiled back and said, No, what type of woman do you think I am? To which he said, We've already established that. We're just talking about the price right now. You know, our worldview is, is, is what we're grounded in. And hopefully we're grounded in the Bible. Hopefully we're grounded in the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. And we don't, you know, move to the right or to the left from that. If you read through the Old Testament, which I hope you do frequently, I hope you do every, every year or so, if you read through the Old Testament, it repeatedly goes through the kings of Israel. And, you know, there'll be a really bad king, and then maybe a good king, and then a bad king, and then a good king. And, you know, with the good kings, it might say that this person served the Lord, 
and would not depart from the Lord's ways to the right or to the left. That's our worldview. That's our grounding. That's what we need to stay rooted in, and we don't need to depart from it. So today we come to scriptures and the second part, you know, we talked last week about how salvation is exclusive. It's only through Jesus. Salvation is exclusive. My prayer is that myself and my, the church I serve and the, my children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren, that we understand proper soteriology. That's the theology of salvation. Salvation is only through Jesus. It's exclusive, only through Jesus. And sometimes that bothers us, but turn it around. There is a way. (laughs) At least there is a way to heaven, but it's only through Jesus. However, salvation is inclusive through Jesus. Jesus opens salvation to everyone. John John Ortberg writes, Considering the ongoing battle with racism, And he wrote this, I believe, after the 2008 presidential election. And he says, Psychologists have found an intriguing way to study what it is that we really like and dislike. It's called effective priming. They print a word over a bouncing dot on a computer screen. And if people's response is positive, they push any key with their left hand. If negative they push any key with their right hand. To discover our deeper responses, researchers will use subliminal stimulation. They'll print a negative word, like fear or storm, subliminally below your level of awareness. Your intuitive system is so fast. Now, I think that's pretty cool, the way God designed us, that our intuitive system is so fast. But this is not necessarily good in this case. Your intuitive system is so fast, it reads those words and responds to them before you are aware. You're responding negative, positive. It reads those words and you respond to something that's just subliminal, just under the surface there. So if they show a negative word subliminally, then a positive word slowly, it takes you longer to move toward a positive response. Sometimes it will flash a subliminal picture Instead of a word, when it is a picture of an an African-American, Americans of all ages, classes, and political affiliations react with a flash of negativity, including people who report they have no prejudice at all. Mark Knoll has written a fascinating, uh, fascinating little book called The Civil War is a Theological Crisis. He notes that all the wrangling between North and South over the Bible and slavery overlooked one huge difference between slavery in ancient Mesopotamia and slavery in 19th century America. The latter was race-based, race-soaked racism. The deepest evil over slavery was not just the economics of it. It was the racism of it. Even northern Christians who were opposed to slavery as an institution were much slower to oppose racism. Noel also notes that over the long haul, Christian theology always tends to have a radicalizing effect on society because of one belief, that all human beings come from the same ancestor, that all human beings bear the image of God. Now, John Ortberg writes, I thought about these stories and many others. 
when I watched the nation respond to the man who could not have spent the night in his town now governing his country. I imagine the response of the retired Louisiana colonel. Quite apart from party preference or position on any number of political issues, I, can, I cannot imagine living through that moment without hoping that there might be healing for wounds that go deep and raw. I thought about how Paul said there was a time when the dividing wall of hostility that separated the us group from the them group came down. I thought about the Azusa Street Revival and how for a few years black people and white people defied all polite society and worshiped together. And then when the fervor cooled and things got respectable, they stopped and mirrored the rest of society. I thought of how when God sits in front of his computer screen, whatever face gets flashed on a screen, the only button he pushes is marked love, love, love. John Ortberg continues, I wonder about the church. Christians are not called to mere society. We're called to be different. And we are called to be loving. And we're called to be multicultural. What we see in heaven is a picture of heaven that is multicultural. You know, there's one scripture that I've been convicted to pray that my children and myself that we embrace in Escalations 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For we are all one in Christ Jesus. The other passage is Revelation 7, 9 through 12. We'll read that in a minute, and I'll spend the bulk of my time there. And it's a picture of heaven. It's a picture of worship in heaven. It's a picture of worship in heaven that is vertical, which means it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. But it's also multicultural, which means that there's all tribes and tongues and nationalities in heaven. If you have problems with another cultural group, Pray about it now, because you will have problems in heaven. Today, we'll look at Revelation 7, 9 through 12. My theme is, worship in heaven will be multicultural. I could also say vertical. Vertical. So, if you haven't, please turn in your Bible to Revelation 7, 9 through 12. Please take your Bible out. We're going to park there and walk through that passage. Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 12. Revelation is the last book in your Bible, if you don't know that. Uh, most of you probably do. If you don't, it's quite all right. Revelation 7, 9 through 12. It's on page 1734 in my Bible. But you can ignore that unless you have the same Bible that I have. And if you have an iPhone or a smartphone and you want to use that, I'm comfortable with that as long as you keep the Facebook app closed. Unless you're on Twitter tweeting my comments. But don't do that either. Save your Twitter till later. Um, Revelation 7, 9 through 12. Read with me. After these things, I looked and behold a great multitude, which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, and palm branches were in their hands. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the, angels were, all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might 
be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Notice this vertical worship. But my first point is worship God in humility and unity. Unity. As we see in this picture of heaven, we may be there. I mean, we'll be in heaven. We may be in this scene, actually. Interestingly, I read, of all the songs in the book of Revelation, and all the songs in the book of Revelation, not one is a solo. The 24 elders sing and cast their crowns before his feet. The united voices of countless angels resound. Every living creature in heaven and earth and under the earth and all that is in them are joined in one song. Those who are victorious over the beast are given harps and a song to sing. In every case, multitudes of people or angels unite the same song with absolute unity. They're united in worship and not one is a solo. You know, I've been convicted of two things regarding this passage. One is, heaven is multicultural. Heaven is multicultural. That should be a given, but as I'll share more in the sermon as we go on, it's terrible. The complete racist violence acts on supposed Christians. There's a group called the alt-right. I don't know much about them. I know that they're incredibly racist and terrible and bad. And the Southern Baptists last year had to make a statement against them. And they did come out saying this does not fit with our view of Christianity. But it's terrible that it was controversial to even do that. And so certain churches following that had to come out and they actually said, look, we are not supporting that group. This does not fit with Christianity. Heaven will be multicultural. Church should be multicultural. Billy Graham said it decades ago. The most segregated time in America is Sunday morning. Terrible as that may be. Billy Graham, one thing I really respect about him, he was doing a crusade down in the South. And he saw these ropes set up, blocking off a certain section. He said, what are those set up for? And they said, oh, that's the section for you know, the, the African-American people. And he went and took them down. He said, I'm not coming. If you're not going to just let anybody sit anywhere, I'm not coming to your area. Praise God for that witness. Heaven is multicultural. Secondly, this is a picture of vertical worship. This is a picture of worship in heaven, and it's all about Jesus. Too often we let our worship become horizontal. It becomes about us. And what we want in a worship service, what we want Sunday morning, what we want at worship. It's not about that. They're bowing down. They're falling to the ground. Their faces are down on the ground. In total humility, worshiping King Jesus. It's totally about Jesus. Thank you. So we have some. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Say amen. Feel free to do that. I love preaching when we hear responses like that. This worship is multicultural and it's about Jesus. And so my prayer for, you know, the churches I serve is these scriptures that we understand Revelation 7, 9 through 12. And we understand the multicultural impact of worship, but also the vertical impact. So when I think about my desire in my own life and my children's lives, that's what I look for. Notice unity. You know, prior to this passage, John was listing the 12 tribes of Israel. And we're not going to talk about that right now, but he lists all these 12 tribes of, 12 tribes of Israel. And then it comes to verse 9. In verse 9, depending on your translation, verse 9 begins, 
after these things. Verse 9 will say, after these things. In other words, after the listing of the 12 tribes of Israel, we have this worshipful moment. This worshipful moment. But, you know, some would say you could translate after with with. Instead of saying after these things, you could say with these things. It is a Greek preposition translated as, well, it's a Greek pre, uh, preposition meta, meta. And it can be translated either after or with. After or with. So some scholars like to think it's really should be with. In other words, with the 12 tribes of Israel, we have this Gentile group of many tribes and tongues and nationalities. With the 12 tribes of ancient Israel, we have all these other groups, all these other tongues, all these other groups. They're, uh, they're, they're in this one big group worshiping the Lord. Either way, whether it's after these things or with, we see heaven is multicultural and we are united. By the way, we don't blend together to one culture. They still have their own language. They still have their own background. We're still be speaking English, unless you speak another language. Maybe you can choose to speak Spanish. I don't know, but uh, that would be really cool. But they have their own still identity. They're still individuals with their own identity. But they're all as one multicultural group worshiping our Savior. Heaven. Here we see a picture of worship in heaven, and this is sometime during the end times. This is likely before the new Jerusalem coming down, came down, comes down out of heaven. Verse 9 begins to describe a great crowd. No one was able to count the crowd. No one was able to count the crowd, except some will have said that if a Baptist evangelist was there, he could count the crowd. You can ask Bill about that later on, because uh, he was a Baptist pastor for 22 years. No one was able to count the crowd. This very, very large crowd worshiping God in heaven. This says large crowd. Every nation, tribe, people, and tongue are in this crowd. And this is John's way of saying that every people group from around the world is in this crowd. And this crowd is clothed with white robes. White has that idea of purity. They're clothed with white robes. Palm branches were in their hands. There's a lot about palm branches. In your notes, I have something about the uh, palm branches from the Archaeological Study Bible. I'll read, I'll read that with you. It says, Palms were a long-standing sign of victory in the Greek world. And the Roman authors, Livy, Virgil, and Cicero, made use of them based upon this significance as well. Palm branches were associated with the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles. Leviticus 23.40. Together with the myrtle, willow, and citron, they formed a lulub, or lalab, an object the rabbis tell us was shaken at the recitation of Psalm 118.25, which is, O Lord, save us, or Hosanna in Hebrew. In John 12.13, the crowds waved their palm branches while shouting the same verse. The Maccabees used palm branches as part of the rededication ceremony for the temple. And they minted coins picturing palm trees, along with the inscription for the redemption of Zion. These symbols were also employed by the Jews of the failed Bar Kokhba rebellion when they attempted to overthrow the Romans and set up a messianic kingdom. Palm branches thus vividly depicted God's victory in the deliverance of his people. Revelation 7-9 portrays Christians who have overcome the persecutions of this world as waving palm branches 
and wearing white robes. The symbolism of the palm branches would have been meaningful to any ancient reader, but especially to one familiar with the place of palm branches in Jewish tradition and worship. Dr. Mulholland, a professor, of, uh, a professor at Asbury Theological Seminary, goes on to show that during this time, the palm was on the flag of, the, of ancient Israel. And if you look at the coins from the Bar Kokhba Revolt, which was 132 to 136 BCE, 132 to 136 AD, they all have the palm branch on the coins as well. This is a revolutionary parade. If you think of Palm Sunday, palms were very important and they're waving palm branches in their hands. These people are uniting, worshiping the Lord. But what is uniting them? Jesus is uniting them. Jesus is uniting them. Jesus can, and only Jesus, Jesus and only Jesus can bring together all tribes, tongues, and nationalities to worship Him. Many of you know of Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech. I have some of that in the notes. I'm not going to necessarily read that today. And I like to think we have come a long way, but I also speak as a suburban white male. We will not truly be united until sin is out of the world and until Jesus comes again and makes things right. And we see in this passage that Jesus can bring us together. God loves all, all tribes, tongues, and nationalities, and all of them will be in heaven. Is not the color of skin. It's our great Savior. All these groups are worshiping the Savior together. I shared recently, I was at Moody Bible Institute, and I was at a pastor's conference, and they had an African-American praise band uh, leading worship. And all these different cultural groups worship the Lord different, and I believe God is glorified. He is glorified in all these different expressions of worship. And we ought to be pleased by them. I read the following which I share with you. God is no respecter of persons, especially when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit. For an example from recent church history, consider the beginning of the Pentecostal movement. At the turn of the 20th century, in the decade prior, get this, in the decade prior to 1906, lynchings of African Americans in America had skyrocketed. It is estimated that well over 1,000 blacks, mainly men, were lynched hanged, shot, or sometimes buried alive. Buried alive in the United States. Millions of people in the United States had joined the Ku Klux Klan. Millions of them in the decade prior to 1906. Again, salvation is exclusive, but, it's in, but Jesus is inclusive. It includes all tribes and tongues and nationalities. In 1906... The Spirit of God was poured out in a powerful revival in Los Angeles. This has come to be known as the Azusa Street Revival. Under the leadership of an African-American man, William Seymour, tens of thousands of people from all over the world, in all walks of life, rich, poor, men, women, Americans, non-Americans, black, white, Asian, Latino, came by car, by horse and buggy, by train and by boat. They all encountered the Spirit. In a year of lynchings, blacks and whites were embracing each other as beloved brothers and sisters in Christ. Frank Bartleman, I love this. Frank Bartleman, a historian of the Azusa Street Revival, said, The color line is washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. I love that. The color line is washed away 
by the blood of Jesus Christ. But too often we let our sin nature get in the way. And we misrepresent the kingdom of God by being segregated. Now notice humility. They cry out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to the Lord, sitting on the throne and to the Lamb. Salvation belongs to who? The Lord, sitting on the throne to the Lamb and to the Lamb. The angels, all of them, the elders, the four living creatures, they bow down. Faces down before the throne. They're bowing down. Their posture is reflecting who they adore. Their posture is reflecting their worship. It's vertical. It's about Jesus. And in great humility, their faces are in the ground, worshiping the Savior. There's great humility in worship. They said, praise, glory, wisdom, thanks, honor, power, and strength. Belong to the eternal God. They give God the glory due his name. And in great humility they worship. This passage continues through the rest of the chapter. And is comparable to Revelation 4, 5 through 11. And Revelation 5, 11 through 14. Repeatedly in the book of Revelation. We see this type of humble vertical worship. Now how do we worship the Lord? Do we worship the Lord with great power and humility, as this crowd did? How do we feel about different cultural groups in society, in different cultural groups in the church? Do we desire that our church and our family and our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren and our great-great-grandchildren love all cultures? Do we desire that they love everyone? Do we pray that way? Do we pray that way? Do we model that in our demeanor and what we say and how we act? Pray that we and our descendants worship the Lord this way. This is a model, I believe, of our attitude and how our attitude should be in worship. Pray that we and our descendants recognize heaven as multicultural. A few years ago it hit me, and I don't know what made, me, made it hit me, and it didn't really hurt. I mean, it hit me in a metaphorical way, and I'm seeing if you're awake. A few people are. Um, I'll be here all day. I'm just kidding. I don't know what made me think of this, but, you know, it hit me that in Genesis 11, Genesis 11 is the Tower of Babel. And in Genesis 11, God at the Tower of Babel divided the nations. He divided the nations, and he divided them through language. He divided them through language. But as we look through the New Testament, and we look at the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, and Acts chapter 8, and Acts chapter 10, and Acts chapter 11, and the Jerusalem Council, and Acts chapter 15, and if you look at Galatians 3.28, and you look at Ephesians, and you look at these passages in Revelation, and you look throughout the whole New Testament, it seems as though God is reversing that. It seems as though in our fallen humanity... And in our sin nature, we needed to be divided. God looked down from heaven, Genesis 11, and divided the people. But with the Holy Spirit, and with Christ who has died and saved us and set us free, as a redeemed people, with the church of Jesus Christ, as a bride of Christ, with the body of Christ, we are called to be united, all tribes and tongues and nationalities. And I believe that is something we have to work on in the American church And I believe these two things we have to work on heavily. 
and that's why I focus heavily on them. We make our worship too horizontal. We don't make our worship about Jesus, who it's supposed to be about. And we, make, and we are way too segregated. You may come on Sunday morning and you might believe some of these things. But I hope our demeanor and attitude the rest of the week believes them too. The gospel can be summed up in the acronym spelled gospel. Get that. G-O-S-P-E-L. God created us to be with him. We see that in Genesis 1 through 2. But our sins, they separate us from God. We see that in Genesis 3. Sins cannot be removed by good deeds. We see that in Genesis 4 through Malachi 4. Again, this is spelling gospel. So anyone who can spell gospel can share the gospel. No excuses. So paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again, Matthew through Luke. And everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life, John through Jude. And life that's eternal means we will be with Jesus forever, Revelation 22.5. Now, why do I share that right now? For one, I hope that you've accepted the gospel. And I hope you believed in Jesus as Lord and Savior and you've committed your life to him and, and you're following him and you're confessing you're a sinner in need of a Savior. For two, I want you to know how to share the gospel with other people. And so, it's important that I share that most every Sunday. So it's being drilled or grilled. I don't know whether it's supposed to be drilled or grilled, but either way, drilled and grilled into you so that you learn and know Maybe you already do. Maybe you have for 50 years. That the gospel is important. And the gospel is worth sharing. And I hope you're praying for your non-Christian friends and family members to come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And as you do that, I hope you're praying that God can use you to share the gospel. Because it's like witnessing a new birth. It's witnessing a spiritual birth. And it's the coolest thing we can ever experience. Angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner who repents. You want to make heaven worship? Share the gospel. Don't just share it with your life. Do that too. But share it with your words. But I'm afraid too often it's not important to us. Because the studies show alleged Christians don't share. The studies show alleged Christians are just as bad as the world. We need to change that. Help me change that. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, I pray that we value the gospel. I pray that we love the gospel. And I pray that we know the gospel. Lord Jesus, I ask that we um, are committed to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. I pray that we are committed to vertical worship, self-sacrificing worship. I ask that we are committed to worshiping you in spirit and in truth, worshiping you with people from all tribes and tongues and nationalities. I ask, O oh Lord, that we are committed to making our worship about you, our great and awesome and powerful and mighty Savior, and not about us. And Lord God, I pray that you will give us opportunities to share the gospel with other people this week. And if we do not know you as Lord and Savior, may today be the day of salvation. May today be the day where we commit our lives to you. We confess, whoever is here who does not know you as Lord and Savior, may today be the day of confessing they are a sinner in need of a Savior. You are their only Savior. Believing, Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by you. Committing their life to you. Trusting in you as Lord and Savior. Help us all following you this week. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Let's all